to season four of Purposeful Empathy, a show dedicated to conversations with people from around the globe who understand the world needs more empathy and are doing something about it. Today's episode is brought to you by Grant Huron International, an on-demand coaching provider for individuals and companies. Thanks for watching. Enjoy the show. Welcome to a new episode of Purposeful Empathy. Today I'm joined by Minter Dial. He is a speaker and award-winning author specialized in leadership, branding, and transformation. An agent of change and an elevator of energy, he has exercised 12 different métiers and changed countries 15 times. And I've just learned he's lived a few years in Montreal, my hometown. He's the author of the World War II book and film, The Last Ring Home, and three business books, including Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business, and You Lead, which launched in January of this year, which I see right over your shoulder. Welcome, Minter. It's great to have you on the show. Anita, what a great pleasure. I love, I love your energy, and uh, let's uh, elevate together. So let's start with something super basic. What does empathy mean to you? Understanding. I can't get any more reductionist than that. The ability to understand what someone else is thinking, feeling, or experiencing. The nuance is that there are two ways of understanding in, in the way that I've understood empathy, if you will, not as an academic, but as someone who I would hope is really quite well read. One is the cognitive understanding where you really think what the other person's thinking, you understand in a, in a thinking, thoughtful manner. And the other one is more feeling what the other person's feeling. And, and whereas I think it's much easier to work at, learn how to cognitively understand, it's much more difficult to feel somebody else's feeling. So the one I tend to focus my efforts on is on, the, on this cognitive understanding, because that's something that I can help other people to, to learn. Mm-hmm. And I do too, which is why I put the emphasis on the purposeful empathy. So how do you practice empathy in your life? So uh, I first, uh, I, I try to walk the talk. And, uh, and the first thing I would say is that I, I avoid the idea of the tyranny of empathy. Because as much as I've written a book, um, I am still totally capable of being an unempathic. There are times when I, I forget it and and so not that I want to excuse myself, but I, th- I think it's, it's important not to try to be it all the time. Otherwise, you might end up uh, shriveled up and not, and not in a comfortable ha- and happy place. So I practice it first with myself. And every morning I have a routine that ba- basically gets into what am I feeling? How, how, how am I getting into this day? And, um, you know, could I be irritated? Do I sleep badly? Uh, I stretch, so I feel my bones, my muscles, the aches and pains, and how that implies or moves me uh, and, and it will accompany me during the day. Then the, the second way is I, I really do try to uh, be empathic, and it can be very difficult with my family. In lockdown, that's with whom you are, and so as you know, we have this close communication bias where we can easily sort of finish sentences yada 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 know what you're going to say and feel and and that's a, a challenge so i try to wipe my slate clean the third way and this is really also daily is my green meeting so my green meeting is a a new person someone i don't know 
And I have every day of every of the working week, a green meeting where the objective is to get to learn about somebody else, to learn their story and listen in deeply to what, who they are, what they think, feel, and there's no other agenda behind it. Sometimes it turns into something, but otherwise it's really about practicing listening. When you, you know, they tell a story, oh, well, I wanna tell my story. And of course that happens, but it really is about learning. And then the final way, which is not at all every day, but I, I do actually orchestrate empathy circles. And I do this once a month with usually four people and four other people. And, and that's a, a phenomenal exercise because not only do I learn, I appreciate it, but I see how others are onboarding empathy into their lives and how far they, their journey can be. And that really energizes me to be more on the empathy path myself. Wow. So those are the four ways that you um, leverage empathy in your life. And it sounds like you're doing it very mindfully on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. You mentioned something that really caught my attention, this tyranny of empathy. So are you suggesting that there's a lot of pressure that we're either empathetic or empathic or not, and that we have to be good all the time? Because I struggle with that too, right? Like I feel sometimes like an imposter, you know, that I'm like an empathy expert doing this empathy work and I'm super flawed, make bad decisions, behave poorly, you know, not all the time, but it shows up. And I'm always a little nervous about how I might get called out um, because it would be true. So are you saying that, to, that it's worthwhile having a little self-empathy that we're not perfect and we're works in progress? Is that, is that the gist of it? 100%. 100%. In, in, in the end of the day, what, what our journey is, is about getting to know who we are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the most fascinating journey that we can have. And, and part of actually learning who I was has had the idea to sort of breathe into who I am fully. And I, I like to compartmentalize it into three sections. I compartmentalize it more like giving it a tag but not to separate them all the time. So there's the, there's a professional me shows up the writer, the, the guy who has it together kind of thing. All right, fine. I want to perform. I, I don't, I'm not scared to earn money and that's okay. Then I have the personal me sense of humor, tastes, opinions, experiences in my life that include love and sex. And, and these are personal things. And then, then there's the intimate me. And in the intimate me, there's stuff that just doesn't need to be told to other people. It's my personal secret garden, as Voltaire might say. And, and you need to cultivate your, your secret garden. You need to learn it, understand it. And within it, there'll be also the darker side of you, the things where you're not so good, where you, for example, I'm, I'm pretty bad at taking criticism. So, all right, that's a, a bad side of me. I call that more in the personal element of me, but learn to embrace your lesser good sides and understand them. doesn't mean you accept them as, you know, I'm a max murderer and I shall be forever an ax murderer. No, I can improve things. But Anita, there's a, um, there's a, there's a phenomenon that we kind of this radical transparency and need to show everything. And I, I, I push against also what I would call the tyranny of transparency. And in, in a sentence I, I like very much is there is beauty in mystery mm. and not everything needs to be known. Mm -hmm. So 
allow for the messiness, allow for the darker sides, because in that you'll find greater peace with yourself if you can accept your whole self. So that empathy starts with me and my full understanding. And you can't possibly know how to listen to everybody all the time. Otherwise, who are you? Yeah. You'll end up with nothing. If you don't allow yourself to react, if you don't allow yourself to, to be naughty or be different, well, you won't have your own identity. You're just going to accommodate and accept everything else going on. So yeah, that's how I approach it. It's like you say, um, we all have bad sides. I mean, I certainly do. And I can get irritated and I can not listen well and I can have my agenda. It does happen. Well, ha heck yes, because how else do you write a book if it's just to do what everyone else said? Mm -hmm. And I think by being kind to ourselves about our flaws and weaknesses and bad behavior, we also give a bit of permission for others to be flawed too, and we're less quick to judge others. Is that true, you think? Mm, I, I hope so. I mean, otherwise it's, it's quite um, hypocritical. Right. Uh, if, if you know, you accept your own uh, ass, asininess and you don't want to accept it in others. Of course, there, there's going to be elements and there's an ethical line to all this. And I think within my journey of working in a professional space, a lot of what I try to do is help people accommodate more of their personal side in a workplace because actually that's where your ethics are that's where your emotions are and actually that's where your authenticity is mm -hmm. so if you just focus on the professional side without wanting to go into the personal side well it's messier but it's better and longer if you mm -hmm. can accept it so that means accepting other people's foibles and and, and helping them to understand their own foibles eventually if you're in a coaching mode. Yeah, now I wanna come back to the organizational uh, context in a second, but one of the other four practices that you have included the green conversations, I think you called them, you know, having yeah. a conversation with somebody that you don't know and just really being present and, and listening. I'm wondering, you know, I love having conversations with taxi drivers. And I love getting on a plane, maybe not all the time, but sitting next to somebody and sparking up a conversation with somebody I'll never see before again and having like these amazing kind of dialogues. So is there any story that has stuck with you or is there anything that you've learned through the process of, of having those green conversations? Well, I have I have a, a sort of an example of, of sitting down beside uh, this man wearing a tie with the dullest of tastes. And, and then he says, well, I work in insurance. And uh, this was the beginning of the dinner party. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> what time is it? Yeah. So what, I had two options at that point. One is, oh, my wife's called. I got to go. Or, you know, try, try to find some option. Or... How am I going to make this dinner interesting? And uh, I ended up asking him what he enjoyed doing. And he told me uh, that he likes to make sculptures out of matchsticks. And he's done amazing sculptures. And so I asked him about the choices of the objects that he did. And he turns out he's studied the buildings that he makes out of matchsticks. So the bottom line of that is that if you just uh, breathe into it somehow, and allow yourself, then you can often find the most 
extraordinary stories, at least different from yours. And, and you know, I'm certainly not going to go about starting my matchstick collection. I have my own oddities enough as it is. But I think that that's, that's an example. And, and like you say, when you hit a taxi driver or a stranger in an airplane, they can be telling you a bunch of bullshit. That's, but that's fine. Who cares? First of all, you, you didn't sign a deal uh, with them. There's no further contract. You, you, you just have that experience. And that's the journey they want to tell you. And, and it can, it's like reading a fiction story. Yeah. Of course you should read fiction. And, and they may or may not be telling the truth. There are other things that come out. If you turn into a second meeting, then you have, you know, then it becomes different. But at that point, it's just fun to listen to the story. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so back to the business context. Why? How, first of all, how can we promote empathy in the workplace? And why would that be important? Well, uh, it, it's, it's one of the, it's, it's like so many things like authenticity, transparency. It's another one of these terms that's actually very abstract and very hard to measure. So in a business environment, while some people feel there are ways to measure it, it's generally complicated. And the bottom line is, in my observation, empathy has an opportunity, uh, a, a purpose, a chance to do something good for your business in pretty much every bloody thing you do. Because basically business is about relationships. The people you work with, your stakeholders and distributors, and a thing called a customer. And, and so if you can better understand the person on your factory line and the issues that they have, you might find as a manager of the factory, you're in a better ability to get engagement from your employees. And I, I, I use the word factory line person because it's probably about as far as they get from my type of mentality. I'm a kind of a chaotic thinker as opposed to a very structured engineer. And if you can apply empathy and understanding to the person, the factory worker, and make their lives better, maybe they'll come back and they'll help by identifying issues and bugs and flaws on the line. And that's going to make your productivity better in the factory. And, and you basically apply that idea of empathy within all aspects of the business. Of course, you know, obviously, when it comes to design when it comes to interacting with customers. And it doesn't mean I'm gonna keel over and say yes to everything, which is again, part of the, the different, let's say, uh, misunderstandings of empathy. It really is just about understanding. And, and then afterwards you can choose to act on it or not. But the, the act of understanding and taking the time for it. An important thing, Anita, was when how, how do you do that? Because actually to be intentional about it means accommodating the time for it. Because if you are in a mode where everything is metered, mm -hmm. even a conversation, let's say you and I are in a call, it has a fixed time. Because we have a fixed time, it'll, I'll inevitably be thinking, huh, have I, have I said everything I need to say? kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is really more re relative to a sort of a business meeting where there's a, a confrontation of ideas around a, a specific agenda topic. But when, whenever you have this time constraint, well, you might not just ask that open question anymore. Mm -hmm. You might not spend that time thinking, getting, wiping your slate clean to think what's going on in the mind, heart of the other person. 
and, and this takes time. So in order for that to happen, you need to make sure your agenda isn't back-to-back bloody meetings. Where's the air for you? Not just going to the loo, but other things. You know, Where's the airtime for you? And airtime for serendipity, airtime for listening. And you need to make sure if you really want to be empathic and insert empathy into your agendas as a leader in an organization, that you're intentional about allowing for the time that it takes to be empathic. Yeah, so this for me raises a moment that I think will stay with me for a very long time. Um, The first meeting I attended after all our classes were canceled last spring, um, you know, everybody went to remote learning. It was like a really strange moment in time, right? March of, you know, 2020. Um, The first meeting began with the first agenda item. And we weren't that huge a number of people on the Zoom call, but I was just astounded that there wasn't a moment for like, hey, how are you doing? And 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 I think that's what you're talking about, right? That there's a need to bring our human selves to work and acknowledge that we're humans before workers, employees, leaders, managers, whatever. Um, You know, the silence between the notes makes the music to create this openness as you've just described for empathy to, to emerge and to flourish. So that, thing, that to me requires an understanding at the senior level to create a culture of empathy and to practice empathic practices. So do you, what have you found useful when you do work with organizations to kind of operationalize empathy? Well, the very first thing I do is I, I help them to understand themselves, how poor they are at listening. Mm. I, I, I certainly don't want to be prescriptive because at the end of the day, just like anything, they need to, they need to know why they need to learn it or, and be it and at what purpose it serves. So I, I love to allow them to do, oh my gosh, I'm a poor listener. Mm. And, and, and frankly, it is my observation that more and more in a world where we kind of, let's say, honor the individual, we have a oversized egos to deal with. We have so many uh, things to do. The idea of someone listening to me, it's rare that someone gives you that time to make you feel heard, to make you feel that you actually contribute and are important. So, I try to move that along the journey towards that. And, and if the boss who tends to often come with an ego, who tends to come with great success, which walls them up from ability to change and evolve, you need to break through that image of, I need to be perfect. I need to you know, set the vision to move it from a know-it-all to a learn-it-all kind of idea where you introduce humility, which means that I don't know it all. I need your help. Mm-hmm. And, and if you can get into that mode as a leader, it's also part of an, a culture of empathy within the organization. And by the way, you can't start every meeting like this because sometimes you only have a 15 minute meeting meeting and, you know, let's be pragmatic about it. Let's avoid the tyranny of it. Let's, let's do it when we can and, and, and try to introduce it. So if you're trying to change your culture, don't just do it overnight. 
move it in slowly because you're not credible. And by the way, you'll be bad at it if you're just trying to do it overnight as if it's like right, a right. new page. I, wa- I wanted to just to bounce back on your story because stories beget stories. And my story um, is pre-COVID because I think this is not a COVID story. This is a, this is a story that's been around for quite a while. And, and the, the lack of empathy in business has, has been there a long time. So this is the, the, the morning. It's a Tuesday morning on a beautiful day in Manhattan. Outside my office, I had this beautiful blue sky. It was roughly quarter to nine on a, the 11th of September. And, and things yeah. just go down in front of me where we, I see the second airplane fly all the way down and into the South Tower and everything. And then um, at 10 o'clock, we had a senior management meeting. Let's say stuff was happening. The actually the the meeting had to be a little later because <laughs> actually buildings started falling down, but we still held the meeting. And and the agenda points, first, a, a, a resume of of where we sit, where we sit, you know, where where are we in our business for the week and the month? Where are we? <laughs> wow. Uh, twenty four percent done. Uh, oh my gosh right that is something and so obviously now I need to ask you about this because we're talking you were there 9-11 where did you see empathy play out um, in the aftermath of that Mm. well um, I I I feel probably the, the most honest, I was, I was complicated for me. I was running a company worldwide oh. based out of New York. That was whose DNA was New York. Uh, just to give you an example of the kind of stuff that went down, my CEO called me and said, you mean with the French, you know, you need to come to Paris uh, to tell us how we're going to sell more shampoos for the next three years. So that was not a moment of empathy. Um, and, and then I had to, I, I, I talked to my creative director about uh, Chuck about changing, uh, two of our images because two of our images for 2002 had the twin towers in the background. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm like, Oh, that's not going to go down well, or at least, you know, how do you sell gel, uh, with the twin towers in the background? And so I had to call up the retoucher who lived in a town in New Jersey, uh, that was missing certainly dozens of people mm-hmm. and I had to ask him to rub out the twin tower oh, Jesus. Yeah. and it was it a off oh yeah and then he it was a long pause he said what floor do you want me to rub it out to when you go through hardship how you can craft a togetherness and a sense of belonging. And it's certainly reinforced. I feel in permanent, I feel permanently tattooed by the experience I had with that team at that moment and the values that we lived through and perpetuated despite the, the chaos and the horror of what happened. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. It was not, expecting to have a conversation about 9-11 today, but that was a really powerful story. So it's clear that you care about relational stuff, right? The communication, the listening, the empathy. Now let's talk about machines a little bit. What do you feel about 
empathy and artificial intelligence and robots and all of that. So there's a, let me tell you how I got into, well, there's a, there's a real personal story to how I got into writing the book. And, and then there was a, a, a mania to the madness of how I, and what I chose to write about. So the, the way I got into writing this book was that my best friend killed himself and I had accompanied him for the last six weeks deeply into it. And, and I realized that I, I just didn't have enough empathy. I didn't, I didn't know where it was. I didn't really believe it was going to go to where it got to. And I was like, Oh, fruits. All right. And so my therapy was writing this book. So that's the, that's the personal, I don't publish that story. That's just my reality. And then, all right. So I'm gonna write a book about empathy. What credibility you were talking about imposter syndrome, but why me, you know? And, um, and what I, so I just written a book about technology, future proof and all the different AI was a part of that, of course. And, and AI is, is still a hot topic. So how am I going to get people to be more empathic in business? Well, I'm going to get those people who think that they can delegate empathy to a machine because they aren't empathic, but they're going to say, oh, good. Oh, phew. I don't have to be empathic. I'm just going to put that in a box and let the bot powered by a machine be empathic. And you, it's done. Done. But of course, it's not. So the, the idea with the hook, the lemson, the, 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 the fish hook, was to grab people who say, oh, cool, let's delegate. We know how to put empathy into a box. Let's do it that way. And, and once I've got them, then I say, ha, sorry about that. Actually, tricked. Yeah, it's about you being empathic. Because if you're not, then you sure shit aren't going to be encoding empathy into your machine because you don't know what you're encoding. And by the way, when you're dealing with coding AI, you have a thing in the middle called the programmer. And the programmers are not usually known for being empathic. So you, you even need to understand the process of, of coding in order to hopefully insert some empathy into the AI. But the bottom line message is, if you're not empathic, you won't get an empathic bot. As the, as the lovely expression, shit in, shit out. I hope you don't mind a few French swear words. Um, but th that's if you, if you, if you have a bad um, data set, if you have a bad imprimatur at the beginning, it's unlikely you're going to get anything close to an empathic AI. So when you look at project to the future, where do you think new technology is taking us? Are you hopeful about how empathy may flourish in the next 10 or 20 years? Or are you um, concerned? So I think that uh, really is a, a look at humanity. And because it's how humanity uses machines really it's not the machines by themselves as much as we might want to think that we can insert general intelligence into a machine in other words that it learns by itself and it crafts its own vision of the world i i think that we continue to be beholden to the shareholder yeah. so we're we're going to do whatever it takes to turn the profit and the ethical lines within that will be by, by and large, dictated by the shareholder far more than the government. Because the government sure isn't going to be creating regulations that understands what's happening in the black box. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, obviously there is a role for regulation. But the real role is down to the ethics within the organization, which is going to come from leadership. 
And until leadership actually gets in and starts putting their hands into like into, into the machine, understanding how it works and understanding the mindsets of programmers and, and how data sets are constructed, then we will probably have plenty of bad actors and bad apples. Mm. Fortunately, there are other good ones, but I like humanity. We're going to see a whole array. And, uh, and until Wall Street, to, to use that as the sort of the angle, until they get with the plot and start looking at ethics at a deeper level and, and saying, well, we can sacrifice some of the profits in order to do better for the world then we, I think there's chances are it's going to be more negative than positive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're not going to end on that note, uh, but I do want to say like, this has been such a, a delightful conversation full of meaty things for me to think about and reflect on, um, you know, once we've said goodbye, um, I got in, I've gotten into the habit mentor of um, asking my guests to share a story at the end of our conversation, when they were, if they can think of it, like I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but maybe something will come up for you. When you were on the receiving end of empathy or what I would even call purposeful empathy. So somebody doing some good heavy lifting empathy on purpose and what that meant for you. Well, I have a, a, a woman um, that comes to mind. And um, it was when we were working for, while I was working for L'Oreal and um, she was the daughter of a pastor and, and was working fully within our company, Redken. She'd been part of Redken well before, from basically from the founding, was founded in 1960 by Paula Kent. And she was part of almost one of the first employees of the company, was still working through the acquisition through L'Oreal and so on. And uh, unofficially, she was called the director of love. Oh, wow. and, and inserting love in a business is a, is a complicated idea. And, and obviously, we're talking about platonic love. So Anne Mincy, to name her, would make you feel like the most important person in her life when you were in her presence. And she'd ask open questions. She would pick up the nuances of my emotions because I was, you know, let's say the boss. But we, we created this relationship where uh, we were able to speak to each other. And um, off, the, off the record, there's a, there's a really funny element to all that, which um, uh, would be incriminating. But not about me or about her, but just to make complicated. But we really had a, a really wonderfully deep relationship. And what did it make me feel? It made me feel heard. It made me feel good. And uh, it made me feel I had a partner. Sometimes a partner in crime, because sometimes we do things which weren't part of the L'Oreal Gestalt, but were part of the Redken Dynamo. And, and that was just, you know, that was a fun complicitous moment and and really Anne has this ability to make you feel like you're the most important person in her life at that moment and it's it's sincere it's not some you know made-up idea she just genuinely goes there and anyway so yeah that's that's my dear dear Annie Emancy well I love asking this question because 
whoever I've asked it to has always thought of someone either in a moment or over a period of time where it's a powerful feeling that they're, that they're channeling, which I set, which I translate to like, we can't keep talking about empathy being this soft skill. It is so powerful that everyone has experiences with empathy. You know, I feel like, you know, if only we could all just dial up empathy, I think, you know, the world would be a better place. So I just want to thank you so much, Minter, for taking the time and, and, and sharing your, your thoughts about empathy. And I sense that there's something else you want to just add. No, I just love the fact you said dial up. Um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's an expression that I've been using more and more because in the end of the day, it's not about being perfectly empathy, but just dialing it up Do more. Mm -hmm. If, if the, be self-aware where you are, I, I, I've done a survey for 10,000 people and asked the question, how empathic do you consider yourself? Five possible answers above average, well above average, average, below average, well below average. 73% of people describe themselves as being well above or above average. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so horseshit right so be self-aware be be allow yourself not to always be perfect in this regard but intentionally go after being more empathic dial it up there you go thank you so so much we'll have all the information about your books and how to get your podcast and how to be in touch if anybody wants to reach out so um thank you thanks for listening thanks for watching see you at the next episode of purposeful empathy now, what if you had access to your own council of coaches to help you break free from your own thinking clutter, make that important decision, and liberate you from whatever is holding you back? At Grand Here and International, you get to select a coach of your choice anytime from anywhere. Visit GrandHeronInternational.com and harness the power of on-demand coaching today.